Every Woman is a feminist show that highlights the struggles, triumphs, and accomplishments of women and girls and the men who support them. Every Woman includes a rich intersection of female voices that represent a wide range of ethnicities, social and economic status, as well as political and spiritual beliefs, with the purpose to enact social, political, environmental, and economic change. The views and opinions expressed on Every Woman are those of the hosts and the guests and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Midcoast Radio Project Incorporated, KKFI staff, board, or management. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Every Woman coming to you live from Studio A in the world headquarters of KKFI here in Midtown Kansas City, Missouri. I am one of your hosts today and your ever faithful board operator, Rachel. I am joined here live in the studio by my two wonderful co-hosts and co-producers of this show, Una and Fiona Nowling. Hi, Fiona. How are you? Great. Thank you, Rachel. How about you? I am doing fabulous. I'm doing really well. I We started a ladies pickleball league last night, and it's the first one since this winter, and it was amazing. So, yes, feeling good. <laughs> I don't think I've done anything that active or energetic yet. <laughs> I know you called your. I know you called yourself ever faithful, ever faithful to the show, to pickleball. To yes, I'm just in general. I don't know. I, it's easier for me to live up to be the faithful board operator than like the competent board operator or the amazing board operator. So if I just say I'm the oh, faithful one, I don't know. Because yeah. when know. They, they teach you to write those letters and the levels of formality, and I always had issues sending yours faithfully to someone right. I didn't even know. It's like, how can I stay faithful to them when I've never even met them? I can be sincere, but I'm not sure I can be faithful. Well, that's a good point. That's, I'll, I'll have to reevaluate my introduction for next week. I'll, I'll have something brand new <laughs> you next week. It could be a sincere board operator. <gasps> Ooh, okay. <laughs> Serious, sincere, lovable, affable. All of the above. All those things. How are you doing, Una? I'm tired. Okay. I got home at 2 a.m. The life of the party girl. Oh, and whose fault was that? It's um, being the designated driver and trying to corral everyone. It's like well, you have a whole car full of drunk girls that you're trying to be the designated driver for. It's like herding a bunch of really stupid cats. <laughs> <laughs> but couldn't you just be like one of those party buses and say that this bus is hauling itself out of the car park at such and such a time and you've been not I on have board? Res- I have a very strong sense of honor. I take when, when someone puts themselves into my hands as the DD, I make sure they get home safe, no matter what. Absolutely. Even if I have to get the rhino tranks out and, <laughs> and, hold them, and put them on the hood of the car, I get them home safe. Some of them might enjoy that, though. I was going to say, a, true, a, yeah. car, a car full of drunk women driving home sounds like a Cinemax late night movie from the It was funny, the one time I had three of them in the car and we got pulled over for a random sobriety checkpoint I'm stone cold sober and they're all it's like, oh, is he cute? You know, is there a Mrs. Ossifer and everything? And I said, will you drunk so-and-sos shut the, the so-and-so up? And the right. cops started laughing and said, okay, that's a designated driver. You go on your way, ma'am. Get <laughs> well, we appreciate you uh, helping to make all the streets safer and safer for it's, all of us. It's, it's, I'm you. on a mission. A mission from Ma Collie. Very good. Anyways, we have a guest 
today that's all uh, right we do it's not it's not about. all about just banter between us but in fact we do have an amazing guest today our guest today is no stranger to anyone involved in the entertainment industry whether as a performer producer or an audience member um, she describes herself as a professional artist here in Kansas City Missouri but she is so much more than that in fact her reach is so broad and encompasses so many different things that she kind of defies category and definition she has appeared wow. on almost every stage in the city over the last 20 years. Um, she is the artistic director of Kansas City Strips, which is a fundraiser for uh, AS, ASFKC and AIDS Walk Kansas City. She is the curator and producer of Kickin' It with Katie G and booking manager, artist liaison for the Black Box in the West Bottoms, amongst many other things. Um, you can hear her Wednesdays at Missy B's um, with the uh, Cantata Cabaret and upcoming, uh, she will be in a show called uh, Who Run the World with performances on June 30th and July 1st at the Black Box. So please welcome the amazingly talented Katie Gilchrist. Hi, Katie. Hi, thank you so much. That's such a sweet intro. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. I was like, I, I know I'm going to leave stuff out, but if I didn't leave it out, I would still be talking for like 20 minutes. So <laughs> I had to edit things down. Well, thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. So, uh, as is my want when I when I bring in a new guest, I often want to hear what your squiggly path story is. So, your squiggly path is where you started to sort of where you've ended up now here on our program. So, if you could give me a little background on who this KDG person is and how did she end up here? Squiggly path. I like that a lot. Um, I... Um I was born and raised in Kansas City as a daughter of a firefighter and a nurse and um, <clears throat> was a jock growing up. I sang a lot but never really did any theater um, and uh, played a lot of sports and um, went to college on an um, academic and soccer scholarship and um, started doing theater. And I thought, oh, I really love this. I mean, started doing theater really in earnest, and I fell in love with it and um, had a conversation with the head of the program and who told me, I think you could do this professionally because I was going to be a lawyer. Um, oh, my. That is a squiggly path from soccer, soccer player to lawyer. Yeah, I like arguing. I like being right. <laughs> <laughs> and I like research, qualities. and I love reading, and I thought it all made a bunch of sense. And if I was going to be, you know, an attorney, my natural desire to be like, ooh, look at me, and also argue seemed correct. <laughs> and I'm glad, it, I'm glad it was not. So uh, so you didn't actually start doing theater in earnest until college? I did a couple of things in high school, but I didn't, um, the first time I set foot on stage and had a line, I was, it was uh, the end of my sophomore year in high school, and it was a little supporting role in Wizard of Oz, the musical. Ooh. And I... Nice did it because um, the coach of my high school basketball team had given my starting position away when I hurt myself and I got pissed and also <laughs> I got angry and I got self-righteous about it and I took my jersey off and threw it at him and I quit the team and then had, was like I, I have free time now so and, and that was the first thing I ever did nice and chuck up um, anger to all of those other things about being a lawyer and tenacity yeah, exactly <laughs> So you you actually you actually went to college on a soccer scholarship. Did you did you play soccer through college then, or did that sort of fall by the wayside as well? I played all the way through. I was a um, multiple all region player. Um, 
I was all conference a couple of times. Um, uh, yeah, I was the starting player all four years. Wow. It's still to this day um, one of my, it's probably my favorite sport in the whole world. Wow. I have to I have to admit I know absolutely nothing about soccer. I've tried. I've had friends who said you've got to watch it you're going to love it and it's just never worked for me but maybe I, someday. I totally get it. I don't it's love totally it. Fine. But having grown up in England I even understand what the offside rule is and it, that's totally not fair. There are things I could use that space in my brain for. <laughs> mhm. Sometimes weird things just live rent free and you go I know what this means. <laughs> Uh-huh. For no reason whatsoever. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> so, uh, so you went to college and, and you ended up. What was your degree then? I have a double major in English and uh, theater, and then a minor in music. Gotcha. Um, but you were always you're you're always sort of a singer musician. Do you, do you play an instrument as well, or I can plunk out, can read notes shape notes on piano so I can teach myself music um, I play a little bit of bass guitar and I play auxiliary percussion I'm, I was not disciplined enough as a youth to stick with a particular instrument I did start by playing clarinet and then when I realized I preferred singing and you can't really accompany yourself while you're singing on a clarinet that's very difficult uh, so I, I gave up the clarinet it's funny we, we have a very similar story I was a music minor in college and I was and, and because of that, I had to take piano lessons all the way through college. And I, I could fake my way through stuff. It's like I could plunk it out and then my ear could hear what it was supposed to be and I would play it. And I went, I have a music minor. I have no idea how to read music. None whatsoever. That's, yeah, I'm really bad at reading time signatures. I can read all the notes. <laughs> yeah. <There's> that. <laughs> it, it, it was another reason I became a drummer, too, actually. There you go. Yes. You can create your own rhythm. Mm-hmm. There it is. I was going to say, you'd need to read the time signature and understand that stuff, though, for drumming. Yeah, but I don't read drum music. I don't read trump charts, either. <laughs> I tried. It never. It just never clicked to me. I think that's the languages in me just, yeah, not so good. So, um, so you made it through college, and, and then I what? I did. And then what happened? Um, I married my first husband, um, and we were living in <laughs> Iowa. And uh, I auditioned for grad school and got into a couple places. And uh, because um, his family was here and my family was here, we came back and I started my first year of grad school for the MFA program at UMKC and did that for three years and got divorced from that husband and moved to New York and was there for almost three years. And um, then I came back and was just going to be a holdover kind of until I moved to a different market. So then I kept working and then I built... Um, what I consider to be a really rewarding and um, beautiful career here, and so I've, I've stayed. It, it's amazing how many times I've heard from, especially actors, but even designers sometimes. Who you know, New York is always the goal, especially for actors. You know, we've got to go to New York. That's where that's where the heart of our industry is. That's where Broadway is. That's where it's all happening. And they often go there, and sometimes they're even quite successful at it. But many of them come back. It's like you, you don't realize kind of how good it is here until you've left for a while. It's true because you can create a life for yourself. You can actually have a home and a partner and pets and still be a creative without having to surrender those creative juices to hustling just to pay rent. Right. And that's not a read on people who have stayed in New York. It's just 
for those of us who have decided to stay in Kansas City and make a life here, we have acknowledged that we can have pretty much anything by staying here. Right. It's really lovely. Yeah, it seems like uh, a lot of a lot of things in New York get boiled down to sort of Adam and Eve problems. It's like, where am I going to get food next week? How am I going to get home? How am I going to pay for my my apartment? Uh, it's and here you can actually you can actually flourish, and there's there's an awful lot of opportunities here. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So um, I almost don't know how to start with all of the things you do here in Kansas City, but let me start with one of one of the newest venues in Kansas City, the Black Box. Um, so yeah. you are the founder and artistic liaison and booking manager. Can you tell me what that means exactly? Sure. Um, Heidi Van is the founder of the space. She's our executive director. Um, we were looking at spaces together some years ago, and uh, she found this space with her partner, Philip, and um, called me and my partner, Mark, to walk through and it, you know, it was this blank white garage space. Um, and she saw the potential, we saw the potential and we just started working. And in the past, um, three, four years, oh, no, three, um, the living room with Rusty Sneary has come on and joined. And so there are two not-for-profit theatrical organizations that are housed in the black box. And as many people did during the Panini of 2020, we (laughs) pivoted as it were, That's and um, buzzword, started yes. hosting um, shows and artists on our outdoor venue, um, outdoor stage. So we've been able to facilitate some creation um, over the course of the past, I would say, 15, 16 months, which has been really incredible. I'm very, very proud of the work that that entire staff has done, and we're surrounded by really great people. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty amazing accomplishment at all to be creating anything during your panini this last <laughs> year and a half <laughs> the pandemic during the pantalones of pant- 2020 exactly we have put a stage up <laughs> well we need to take our first break so we're going to do that and when we come back i'm going to hear more about your involvement with black box we will be right back and we are back with the Every Woman program. Um, I'm joined here in the studio with uh, Fiona and Una Nowling and my special guest via Zoom, Katie Gilchrist. So before that break, we were talking a little bit about the black box. You gave us a little bit of history. So what, what exactly is an artist liaison? That's one of your titles there. Um, what I do uh, when I book these artists is not just give them um, the date, the space that they need, what they'll expect, but I also try to work with them on what they need, uh, what they're creating for their time slot for the the event that they're building. Um, I work with them. I create the events. I um, talk with them about the assets they send in, their artwork. It's really just, and then when they get on site, facilitating their needs, making sure that they have what they need to have a successful night, you know, whether that's making sure that there's cold water and towels and, you know, if they need a snack, you know, making sure that the artists who are on site with us always feel that they're seen and acknowledged and taken care of by us. Um, so that way it's a relationship as opposed to something that's faceless with a name. They just show up and plug in and play. <laughs> right. It's nicer to have a foundational, I don't know, arrangement with some of the people that you work with. Yeah. It, I mean, it sounds a little hybrid, like producer sort of tour manager, like in a way. Kind of, uh, some of the, I guess, I guess it could be, yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I do 
a lot of emailing with a lot of these people. And so when I get to meet them in person, um, that's part of that, that booking manager job too, that artist liaison bit is to give a face that they can use as their point of contact while everyone else in the black box is swirling around getting everything finished. Right. Um, they can use me as someone to answer any questions and to help them with anything they need. And it's, had you done this sort of work in the past, sort of booking acts and, and making sure things go off like that? Is that something, or is this new for you? It's new in this scope. Um, it's a lot, but um, I have with other entities uh, booked artists to work with us, uh, specifically with Bohemian Cult Revival, our collective, um, worked with a lot of artists in Kansas City, uh, with Casey Strips. I've booked a lot of different um, dancers with um, Ashley Personette, who um, produces with me, and Eric Carbon, um, and actors to donate their time to raise money for AIDS Walk Kansas City. And then the kicking it with Katie G, it, it was very much this. It was <laughs> reaching out to artists and, and forcing deadlines and getting their videos and suggesting themes and, you know, encouraging them to create whatever they wanted to and that's I think was the best lead in kicking it was the best lead in to what I'm doing with Black Box right now yeah that makes sense so it's, you're not just like booking a band for Friday night it sounds like you're sort of putting together whole like events like event planning kind of things it is to an extent I mean in as much as we are just saying okay this is your date let us know what you're what you need on the stage you know what that whether you're backlining with the band the other bands um, it is helping create the event i mean quite literally um from my end of booking um i do create the events and then put them on facebook and then share them with the artists and so it's it's a collaborative effort so that black box can not entirely control the narrative but absolutely do so that these artists also are able to you know we're able to sell tickets and then give the artists a payout so right. that they're receiving not only the space to play in but a financial um, bit of support from yeah. us too. That that is so important. I mean, that whole thing about um, you know artists, you know, working for exposure, and it's like, hey, we've got this great space, and you should come down here because there's going to be hundreds of people there, and they're all going to see you, and then then you'll be world famous, and you know, none of you you can't pay the rent with exposure. So even even the attempt at a payout and whatnot, I know, is really appreciated as an artist. It's it's really important. Um, it you know, so many people in any artistic field are asked to do things for free and we at the black box believe that everyone should be paid in as much as we can we are able to pay them and i think that that's a really good philosophy for everybody to have if you're producing try to pay your people it just keeps coming back and it does look you know it, it just it makes things easier going forward that way you're not in a constant state of hey will you do me a favor hey will you do me a favor <laughs> it's more that would we, would you like to work together on something right yeah, that uh, can you do me a favor thing is very, very prevalent in our industry. It's, yeah, I hear it all the and, time. Yeah, and a lot of you, you know, I'm happy to do favors when it's someone I know or sure. an organization or a fundraiser that I believe in, but it, you know, I can't pay bills that way. <laughs> right. Pay bills <laughs> with favors. You do your landlord. Yeah, favor. exactly. Yes. Um, so tell me, I, I was looking at some of the events. Tell me about Sunday Fun Day at, at the Black Box. What is that about? Oh, we're so excited. So tomorrow, uh, specifically tomorrow, is our Sunday Fun Day Pride edition. And so we have pop-ups from different artists. Um, we have uh, the pop culture sculpture boys coming in and doing a 
rainbow installation across our stage, and then they're doing an installation inside. Um, it's really just a bunch of yard games, and we put up a mister so people can stay cool in the heat. Um, the bar is open. We'll have a little mini set with uh, Zava and Slaney Amy. Um, and so it'll be a mini performance as well as just a day of getting together with people who are like you to feel seen and known and have a few drinks and throw around some balls <laughs> or play <laughs> Connect Four. Nice. If balls are not a thing that you want to uh, handle. And, um, <laughs> and the, the tree hugger truck is open too so they can have vegan food. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a really good time. I know that we talked um, in our pre-interview a little bit about how you're trying to integrate more of the LGBTQIA um, community into the black box in general, and this sounds like a great mm -hmm. step forward. It's important because, you know, there aren't, <clears throat> there are so few true safe spaces. When you think about all the places where straight people feel free to be themselves and walk amongst the world, it's, it, it's just as important for those of us um, and the Rainbow family to feel seen, known, and acknowledged in every space that we walk into. And so it's important uh, for us at the Black Box that we empower and enable people to come into our space and feel that they are at, at their best, their, their right. fullest selves, and they're in their space just enjoying themselves. Yeah, I mean that's a really good point. Is and it's something that you know a lot of lot of cis hetero cis folks don't. You know, they just take it for granted. It's like, well, everything is mm -hmm. sort of made for me, and I feel comfortable pretty much wherever I go, and especially white folks. Um, and yeah, having exactly. that's part of what you know Pride Month is is about for the rainbow community is is being amongst people that you know you don't have to explain yourself and you can just be yourself and you feel safe mm -hmm. and you're amongst friends yeah. so yeah it's really important so an, another one one of the things you're doing is uh, uh, karaoke Mondays too what is what yeah. is that like so karaoke Mondays is something that we've been building our host is Vanessa Davis um, and uh, if you come down and do karaoke it's um, it's open to the public, and what's great is that if it's nice outside, you um, every everybody that comes down for karaoke actually gets to be on our large outdoor stage with theatrical lights on them and feel like a star. It's not just, you know, in a corner in a bar. You get to be on a stage. It's really, really fun, and it's been nice to see that community build as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, um Moving on to one of the, I'm just gonna throw a dart at another thing that you're involved with. Uh -uh. <laughs> or I have actually have a little wheel. I have a KDG wheel here that just spun, and it came up on Casey Strips. Can you tell me about your involvement with with that organization? Yeah, um, I was very fortunate to perform in the second iteration of it called Twenty Thousand Legs Under the Sea. Oh, very nice. Um, <laughs> um, it is a performance fundraiser in the style of Broadway Bears. Um, with uh, Kansas City Artists Against AIDS. And so what we do is choose a theme, um, ask actors and dancers and designers to give of themselves and their time to um, AIDS Service Foundation of Kansas City and to um, AIDS Walk KC. And we do it for, typically it's around between two and four shows and then we raise all that money and we give it to um, ASF at the end. And, um, the first year that I took over as um, artistic director um, and producer was three years ago, and we did a show called Gay is the Future Past, and then the next year we did uh, Play Ball, 
and we were the featured performers for the Gay Softball World Series here oh, in Kansas nice. City right after that. And we're just, we're really excited and eager to come back to raise money for our, for our community here in Kansas City. And is it, is it like a burlesque show or what, what, what is it exactly? It is. You, you could say that it's close to a burlesque show, except that no one is really getting down to pasties. Um, we can be suggestive that way, but um, there's more coverage. Um, but it is. It is a actual, quote-unquote, strip show, much like Broadway Bears. And mm-hmm. so the featured artist or performer is backed up by other dancers. And whether those dancers are helping them to disrobe or they themselves are disrobing, um, they're all doing it. Uh, they're shaking a leg for a good cause here in Kansas City, which is really great. <laughs> No, that is very cool. And is, yeah. had had you done anything like that before? How how did you become the artistic director? It seems like you were just sort of there, and it's like, oh, sure, I'll do it. Um, I did the second one, but I'd also um, I started burlesque fifteen years ago in Kansas City, okay. um, and so I had a relationship with that genre and that form, um, and I've been working, of course, with Bohemian Cult Revival and also with. New Century Follies and these days burlesque these are things that you know I worked with um, people that I worked with in the past um, who taught me a lot mm-hmm. about producing and directing in this fashion and particularly within um, different solo number like within that kind of construct sure. and so Casey Strips just felt like it was too important to let go it was too I don't know too much of a heart song for people to sure. let go of and it felt that um, it felt important to bring it back, especially because it was a way to bring a community together in a really goofy and fun way to raise money for <laughs> people that we love. Right. And I, I kind of just threw myself into the deep end and went, I think I can swim. Okay. <laughs> I, I think I can swim. Like, I'll try swimming. <laughs> of course I can. So, so you started, you, you, you said you sort of started to get involved with, with burlesque as, a, as an art form or as a performance art. How did, how did that happen? Just wake up one day and say, you know what would be great? So if I did a burlesque show. <laughs> um, I was asked to um, do burlesque uh, by a performer in town many years ago. Um, I was currently, I was on a contract, and I could not do that first show, um, but I joined them afterwards. Um, because it was a form that scared the bejesus out of me. I, um, I did it because I, I was afraid to do it, and I wanted to, wanted to understand why. And the first burlesque number I ever did was a... Commedia dell'arte mask number. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds very right. um, stripped from an old man into a young woman. Ooh, very nice. And I was like, look at me go. This will be fine. And then you know, I. I <laughs> it sounds very like I an MFA. About the form. It sounds like an MFA actor thing to do. Commedia. It was one hundred percent an MFA actor <laughs> thing to do. I was hiding behind that degree to be like, ah, oh, if I take the clothes off and have a mask on, they'll never know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you have to pull that <laughs> diploma out selectively. You know, it can be very useful sometimes. That's true. Just not all the time. Look at this piece of paper. Right. <laughs> yeah. That sounds amazing, though. What? A, that's a great construct. I love that idea. It was fun. I think if I went back and tried to do that again now, I think I could do it in a different way because I am not as young as I once was. But uh, it, it was still, I think, be a fun thing to attempt. Yeah. Yeah. And and so. From that, clearly you overcame your fear of it, and you just embraced it. Yeah, because yeah. I kept doing it. Because you kept and doing it. And I have done a lot of really, really goofy things with uh, the people that 
um, in, in the burlesque community in Kansas City, which is an incredibly strong, vibrant community as well here in the city. So one of my one of my uh, favorite moments um, over this last year and a half, of which there are um, almost none, highlights anyway, are uh, when you were doing your social distance dance party um, that you sort of created oh, yeah. and executed during the pandemic. Can you tell me about how that got started and what that was exactly? Um, yeah, um, I woke up one morning with a very, very... This is this is the truth. It came out of a very deep need for me to put my eyeballs on my parents, and wow. so I wanted to roll up with a sign that said "I love you" and we're going to get through this. And rolled up with the Doobie Brothers <laughs> blaring and <laughs> had a sign, and and then we went to um, and I actually, you know, my poor partner, mm-hmm. I woke him up and excuse me, um, can we I can get up because I want to go dance with people. He's like, what? Oh, what? Okay. <laughs> And then 10 houses later <laughs> uh, on that day, but we started with our families and then people saw what we were doing and it elevated from my need to see my parents um, into, I, I just revisited this the other day because the memories have popped up, but um, I bet. it was over 75 locations and about 130 different people that we danced <laughs> wow. with. Wow. Wow. Um, I just I remember seeing it sort of you know vicariously through Facebook because you would you often go live and then you would you know you would have pictures and things and you were spreading such joy and giving us a sense of community and togetherness that was so lacking you know a year ago. Thank you. Yeah, it was weird. I had um, I come from a family of first responders and I think outside of that very selfish child need to make sure my my folks were okay was some kind of weird level of first responding emotionally to our community. I, don't, I mean, it, it's the best way, I think, in, a, in an irrational trying to justify the, this thing that, that we did for a month of exhaustion <laughs> to see people uh, and dance and smile and just forget for, you know, five minutes. Um, but yeah, it was, I think, one of the most gratifying things I've been able to do with our community. It, it was just really soulful. It, it was and it was joyful and wholesome and it was it, you know it was kind of this it, like I said it was shining light um, that I could see back then because I you know many of us in in the entertainment industry you know were devastated by this pandemic either you know not even not even if we got sick but you know our industry was decimated and uh, I know for me it was the loss of that creative output for me was was huge and it took me a long time like several months to figure out what was wrong with me it's like i should sort of be happy it's like i'm doing okay money wise at the moment and i have all of this free time oh my god i could do all of these things and i was just covered with malaise and just didn't want to do anything at the time yeah our sadness was heavy upon us we wore like a very very heavy coat and it's a great way to put that it it even if we could take the coat off and get a breath for a minute, I think, you know, we were kind of reaching out for anything that we could just to get some air, right? you know? And I, I'm very lucky that I have um, a partner, Mark, who facilitates these weirdo ideas that I have <laughs> I, of, you know, it's, getting it's, out in the world and being like, let's dance for people. And they can pick their own song and we'll drive all over the city. And he was like, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is, is that who I saw helping you get on the Zoom call? 
Yes, he is uh, an IT guy for a living and a musician. So whenever, because I tech doesn't really like me. It's not that I don't know how to do it. It's that whenever I click on something, it just seems to say, "Oh, oh no, oh, sorry." He'll walk to it, and it just starts working. So, <laughs> yeah, it is a gift that tech that. people have. Actually, yes. Sometimes all it takes is just to lay lay upon hands, and things will start working again. It's incredible. I yeah, I do not have that gift. At all. Well, it sounds like you've got a great partner, though, if, especially as a musician and, an, and a tech person. That's amazing. I think, yeah. I think sometimes a, we scare. Oh, I'm sorry. Go behaving. ahead. I was just going to say, I think sometimes we scare tech into behaving, and I think sometimes <laughs> tech starts behaving when the other person comes across just to make you look like an idiot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you know, that's exactly what it is. It's just tech being like, ha-ha, would you? Yeah. It's still misbehaving, but it's misbehaving in the opposite direction by working after you said it wasn't. Absolutely. <laughs> that happens so often. Yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, so and, and spinning the wheel again, and I'm coming up on, on one of my other favorite things that you've done recently is uh, kicking it with KDG, um, which was a Facebook Live event. Um, can you tell me how that started and how that came about? Yeah, I um, I was sitting at home again. Uh, as you said, you know, we all of us artists were sitting at home. Much, um, yes. And I thought, you know, I've never done a live show. And I saw that some things were happening. And I thought, well, what if I reach out to the community and we do this, like, request situation. And I see how many of us could get on and have a conversation while where I'm hosting a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first one was social disaster. <laughs> um, as, it, as they should be. They're always terrible. We don't want to start. But um, luckily, thanks to, again, my partner, um, we, we found our way through OBS and found our way through creating a show and then decided, um, I decided very early that any tips that the show would receive would be passed out to artists in the community who were struggling or to other artists who were creating during the pandemic, um, whether they were local or friends of Kansas City who didn't have to be living here. Um, we also did a couple of fundraiser shows that um, raised money for ASFKC, Transformations KC, the Kansas City Anti-Violence Project. Um, we, we sent out all that money um, just, to, just to keep the community kind of engaged and we brought on, I think that's my favorite part is that so many different people um, across the community in various genres appeared on the show, and it was that was, I think, very rewarding. That's my favorite part. What I what I loved about it, especially. Um towards the latter half when you sort of got your you know production values together and stuff for one for one thing i was blown away by the production values of this thing that you're producing in your house in some room in your house that you've transformed into this amazing like kind of underground speakeasy looking cabaret space um that that just blew me away and the the I mean, kudos to your partner who was setting up, you know, you would, you would have a host and you would do a song and then you'd bring in a guest and they would just sort of seamlessly kind of pop in and out. And yeah, it was, it was quite something. We figured out structure a lot together and then realized between the streaming platforms that we had researched that OBS, this particular platform is going to service the best. And figuring out, you know, oh, well, this video is stupid. You know, that all those troubleshooting things that you go through when you realize this is a forum that we've never done before. I would have zero reason to be running an online cabaret show. (laughs) 
with videos if it weren't for this gestures wildly to the world and it was it was wonderful to have somebody who could keep me from um setting my house alight if i <laughs> if i was stuck doing a tech <laughs> by myself <laughs> Well, what I, what I love about this, and, and now hearing sort of, sort of the backstory, is that you know it was sort of born out of this idea, this this creative impulse that you had, and 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 again, your need for community. Um, but then you also then turned it around and sort of gave back to the community as well, and it became this you know altruistic thing. So that's that's just so amazing to me. It was more important, I think, for me to um, continue community conversations than to keep. I mean, it, right. it, that just seemed icky. It felt <laughs> icky for people to tune in and give me stuff when there are other people who are also trying to do stuff. I just used it as a platform to pay people for stuff. <laughs> that <makes> right. <laughs> it does. Well, and, and the organizations you listed are all, you know, worthy organizations and, and doing amazing work in the community. It's, uh, you know, Kansas City is very lucky to have um, these support organizations and very lucky to have the the people in town that we do. Um, and I, I, don't, I believe very much in, you know, personal and emotional philanthropy. And I think that a lot of that goes a long way to bringing the community together in a better way. Right. Um, you mentioned briefly earlier when we were talking about the uh, Bohemian cult revival. Can you tell me what that was or is? Yeah, uh, Bohemian Cult Revival was a collective that um, created immersive, vaudevillian, burlesque cabaret shows. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got it, okay. Um, it's trying to parcel the Right, it came out of um, uh, one entity called Burlesque on the Rocks, and so that became a, show, it's a trib- rock show, tribute um, burlesque shows that we also did. Um, and Bohemian Cult Revival decided to do a lot of these immersive things where we did tribute to the members of the company. Um, one of our favorites, one of my personal favorites, we did a show called Danger Alex in Wonderland where all of us played different characters from Wonderland but kind of skewed mm-hmm. um, to honor a member of our company named Danger Alex. And so it was a, it was a lot of uh, clowning and a lot of um, ideating and those eight people that we founded um, Bohemian, Cult, yeah, Bohemian Cult Revival with are some of the most creative, beautiful weirdos I've had the joy to work with. <laughs> you can never have enough beautiful weirdos in your life. I firmly believe that. They're incredible. <laughs> so when, when you say it was immersive, what, what made it immersive? Um, we didn't just put a show on the stage. We created the environment around it. So you were walking into, um, you know, curtains being hung, candles being lit, um, sometimes moss and flowers hanging from the ceiling, sometimes <laughs> cobwebs, sometimes, um, as an example, I did a um, Ron Swanson burlesque number and went familiar oh, with Parks and Rec. Goodness. And I, was, I had someone cooking bacon while I was... <laughs> Performing. <laughs> it, you you um, were Ron Swanson? I was Ron Swanson. Oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry I missed that. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was, it, we were trying to, um, with that company, hit every single sense. So it wasn't just what I you see. were intaking with your eyeballs. We wanted you to hear us and feel us and 
in some cases, like with the Ron Swanson number, smell us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was a, we were wild for a while. We did, uh, we used to do monthly shows 10 months out of the year. And then we moved to a quarterly construct, which was smarter. Right. <laughs> we're a little more sane. Tired. Where, where were you performing these things? Um, our first home was at the Buffalo Room. Okay. Um, in Westport. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we were nomadic. Uh, we spent a good chunk of time over on 17th and Wyandotte in a studio connected to what was the old fish tank, which then uh, became the Pearl that um, Annie Cherry and I ran. Right. Um, and we performed at the Pearl. We performed um, at Volet's rehearsal space in KCK. We performed at the living room. We performed at the black box. We performed in a speakeasy in the West Bottom, so I'm not going to name because I don't want them to uh, be shut down. Uh, we <laughs> we uh, performed, yeah, all over. Hence the Bohemian, yeah, you kind of kind yes, of a little bit everywhere. Much. So where didn't you perform this thing? Yeah, are you is is that is that an ongoing endeavor? Uh, we have concluded our Bohemian cult revival. Concluded, journey. okay. Um, that's not to say that in the future we wouldn't come back and do something. But um, people have taken on um, different life paths and sure. um, are, there's, you know, health issues and new babies and, you know, lots of life changes. And so we wanted to honor everyone's time by not demanding everyone's time. No, that makes sense. And, you know, yeah. never say never, because who knows? It's true. <laughs> I will always work with any of those beautiful weirdos. Beautiful if you're listening, weirdos. I love you. <laughs> So we've, we've already talked about so many things that, that you do. One, one of the things that we mm -hmm. haven't really talked about is your, is your acting career, which is, which is how I originally met you as, as yeah, an actor. Yeah, that's how we met. <laughs> um, Did we meet uh, when I was in grad school? Because I was thinking about this the other day. I know we worked together multiple times. Did. But I feel like we met when I was in school, in grad school. Probably, yes, probably. But my... my, my biggest memories of you are as an actor at the Unicorn and some of yeah. the shows we did there, especially Painted Alice, which is just yes. one of my absolute favorite shows that I've ever designed. It was a beautiful design. Yeah. We work with stunning in that show. It was such a gorgeous show, too. It was a wonderful conceit and, you know, trying to dive into the mind of an artist. But so tell me, tell me about your, tell me about your, your acting career and, and what you've done and maybe some of your favorite things that you've done. Oh, gosh. I know, right? It's hard. Just go back <laughs> 20 years and pick, pick and choose things. Um, well, of course, you know, my first professional home in Kansas City was the Unicorn Theater. They gave me my card my in 2003. <laughs> yeah. Um, on a production of Lobby Hero. Um, I've done some really fascinating and beautiful work with the Unicorn. Um, I'm very grateful for my time there. Um, one of the craziest things I think I've ever done in my life was a musical called um, Everyday Rapture. Oh, yeah. Um, the lead actress because it was a one woman musical with um, backup singers and dancers and the leading actress had um, taken ill and uh, they brought me on with six days before audience I think it was it's Tommy Brown's thing she will know um, but learning all of that and then going on with an audience and just being like well, okay well okay. here we go hopefully <laughs> here I don't uh, forget everything um, that I'm working with Kyle Hatley um, on things like uh, uh, Death of Cupid mm. um most recently, a Jesus Christ Superstar was a big one as well. Um, yeah. Getting to do Hedwig and the Angry Inch is, of course, a show that's very dear to my heart as well with Justin Carter Van Pelt and Arthur Asylum. Um, it Living Room also facilitated, I mean, one of my favorite shows I think I ever did um, 
earlier was Betrayal because it was a promenade style um, production and you know Carousel for all of its deep deep issues um, has a special place in my heart from the the living room production of that that moved to the rep afterwards I've been very blessed I've been very very lucky I I I'm a very lucky um, lady to have had the work that I've had here in Kansas City Absolutely. So we are up against our second break, second and last break of the hour. So we are going to take that break and come back and talk to you a little bit more. So stay tuned. Oh my gosh, thank you. And we are back with my very special guest, Katie Gilchrist, um, joining us via Zoom. As I think we've all joined something via Zoom over this last year and a half. You know, it's amazing. Uh, Before last March, I had never even heard of Zoom or OBS. And one of the, it's funny because one of the things that has kept me alive during this pandemic is doing online broadcasting with OBS and Zoom and yeah, mm-hmm. I was I was so happy um, when I was asked to do a, a show recently and they were at first they were thinking about oh well, you know it'd be a hybrid show we're going to do it live but we're going to broadcast it too and I'm like please no please can it just be live. <laughs> Please, and it was so. I was very happy. Yay! <laughs> it's it's a strange thing to you know later, not solely later in our careers, but we are with later in our careers to have to learn this new skill set. Yes, you know, like I didn't think that I would be sitting in front of a board messing around with a bunch of. I just yeah, I whatever just never, it was not are. something that I thought I would ever do. <laughs> Lawnmower. I don't know what this is. What is what is this? Yeah. <laughs> I'll mess it up, I'm sure. <laughs> You're doing great. So, uh, so, so we were talking a little bit about your acting, but so of all of these things, do you, do you have a favorite thing that that you do, or is it all just sort of equal to you? I mean, there are certain shows that occupy very special places in my heart. Part sure. Um, I am often made not made fun of, but joked with because I wear some of them as tattoos on my body. Um, nice. Uh, I I think that um, they don't all carry the same weight, but I genuinely feel lucky every time I am doing a show. Sure. Um, there's, I think, for a lot of us, a significant level of imposter syndrome, and I still deal with that, <sighs> even though I've been working um, for a great um, amount of time. I, you know, there's always that, what am I doing here? Are you sure you want me to do this? Do I even belong here? Am I good enough? And it's important that, you know, we speak freely about that stuff because I, I feel just, I feel incredibly fortunate I, every time I'm working on a show, whether someone invites me um, onto a cast or gives me a job or if I'm making something or if I audition for something and book something, I, there's just an immense level of gratitude there, whether it's directing or acting to be working. Yeah. So it, do you- half the time I'm like, ugh. <laughs> Well, one of one of the great things about your career is it's so diverse. So you know, affecting stuff is dried up for the moment. There's music, and then there's you know the booking and all of that stuff. So is do you do you prefer one over the other? Like do you, do you like singing better than acting, or is it all kind of just part of being KDG? I think it's all wrapped up into the burrito that is KDG. They're all different <laughs> ingredients inside my tortilla. Okay, um. yeah, I can relate to that. Um, but um, as I've progressed through this um one thing that i do really really love is directing because i i love again i love deep diving into language i love communicating with artists 
I love text. So <laughs> it's something that I have really enjoyed. Yeah. So that might be maybe the, the protein in the burrito right now, but I think everything else is just, <laughs> I think it's probably equal. <laughs> we'll have an artistic burrito show sometime in the future. I'm writing this down right now because, yeah, yes. we'll, we'll figure that Let's out. Everybody can, it's our own uh, burrito show. <laughs> Bring your own ingredients of who you are. Absolutely. And your own special tortillas. <laughs> Well, I think so many artists are like that, though, because we, you know, we've got so many different creative things. I think so few folks are just sort of zeroed in on one thing. I mean, there are folks who just, you know, acting and that's their thing. But um, I think some of some of the most talented folks and some of my favorite people are folks that do singing and acting and producing and directing and all of that stuff. So I think it rounds us out as humans and makes us better when we do approach anything from one vantage point yes knowing what other people go through on a regular basis when we approach anything from you know whether it's just the hat of the actor or the hat of the producer if you spend time understanding your fellow creators then you get better at the work i think absolutely yeah and that's that's actually a really good lesson because i you know especially in theater when you're doing tech rehearsals and things, I know, you know, for me as a designer, that's the time when I'm actually doing my work. And I know a lot of actors are really frustrated by having to stand in the same place and do the same scene over and over again because that lighting girl cannot get the lights right and we have to keep doing it over and over again. <laughs> but if you understand at least a little bit of what we're trying to do and, and vice versa and being, you know, cognizant of the time that we're wasting too, um, you know, it just helps, I think. It makes Well, and I always think of it this way, you know, when you're an actor on stage, you've got two and a half weeks to rehearse. You've had your time. These designers have exactly 48 hours and a 10 out of 12. So, bam. Yeah. Get out of that. the way. I need a whole <laughs> cast of Katie Gilchrist next time, and we'll be just fine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take that. Uh, yeah, me too. I will, I will light that. I will light the heck out of that. Um, so, we've come to the end of our show, surprisingly. Oh, wow, it's, that went so fast. I know. Oh, gosh. I, I seem to remember someone saying that to you on our pre-interview. It's going to go like that. You did, indeed, inform yes. me that it would go very quickly. <laughs> well, that's just because you're such an amazing guest and such a great person. And thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon to um, share a little bit about your life and, um, and be with us here on Every Woman. I'm so honored that you asked. Thank you so much for having me. I really had a great time. Thank All you. Right. You're very welcome. Have a great rest of your weekend. Um, and I am Rachel, and Fiona is here with me, and this has been the Every Woman program for this week. Um, stay tuned, because Urban Connections is next, and join us every Saturday at 3 o'clock for another edition of Every Woman. See you next week.